there is no single diagnostic test for ALS, and that makes it very challenging. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connecting ALS. I am Jeremy Holden, joined by my co-host, Jessica Chapman. Jessica, how are you this week? Hey, Jeremy, I'm doing wonderful this week. How are you doing? I'm doing great, doing really, really well. Uh, Really enjoying the onset of fall. Haven't had my first pumpkin spice latte yet. Are you are you a pumpkin spice latte gal, Jessica? I'm not. I'm a regular latte gal, uh, so I'll, I'll drink it year round. But I am indeed excited myself about fall and all of the colors and the cooler weather. Yeah, it's always nice to uh, kind of go through the changes of the season. Hopefully listeners are enjoying the onset of fall as well. But Jessica, this week we are here to talk about time to diagnosis. As you know, Jessica, and as many listeners know all too well, it can take uh, the better part of a year from the onset of symptoms to a confirmation of a diagnosis of ALS. And of course, in that time, People are missing out on opportunities to access multidisciplinary care, to participate in clinical trials. It's it's a real problem in the ALS community. It really is. And because of this, it's always been a very high priority for the ALS Association. I mean, Jeremy, as you know, as our listeners know, there is no one test or procedure to actually establish the diagnosis of ALS. So this is something that we've been very mindful for quite some time. Yeah, and excited to roll out a new diagnostic guide, hoping to get in the hands of neurologists across the country to help them think about ALS earlier in the process and really kind of help map out what are the combination, what's the cocktail of symptoms that should maybe trigger the thought of maybe we should get this person to an ALS clinic sooner rather than later so we can try to get that confirmation as quickly as possible. And we had the opportunity this week to talk to one of the members of the committee that developed the Think ALS tool. Yeah, we did. Um, This was so cool. We got to speak to Dr. Suma Babu. She is an assistant professor of neurology at the Harvard Medical School. And as you said, a leading member of the Think ALS development team. And of course, the ALS Association's Time to Diagnose working group. So we got to hear from her, hear about how this idea was born, how they were able to develop this, and of course, what the audience is for this tool and how it can be appropriately used. Great conversation. Looking forward to uh, bringing that to listeners. So let's step out of the way and hear from Dr. Suma Babu. Dr. Babu, thank you so much for being with us this week. Thank you, Jeremy, for having me as well. Yeah, it's very exciting to have you on and and very exciting to talk about a new tool that the ALS Association is putting forth to maybe help speed up the time to diagnosis. But before I get into that, Dr. Babu, aside from being a member of the ALS Association's Time to Diagnosis Working Group, you're an assistant professor of neurology at Harvard Medical Center, a working clinician, and a physician investigator in ALS. So could you start off by maybe explaining to listeners how you came to find yourself in the ALS community? That's a great question to start the conversation. Uh, Thank you for that question, Jeremy. ALS is a challenging disease with a great need for more workforce, more clinicians and clinician scientists. I think many of my early formative experiences during residency and uh, neuromuscular fellowship just led me to gravitate towards ALS and building my career and dedicating my career to the field of ALS. 
One of the early formative experiences was a labor-intensive EMG study that I did that was a real eye-opener for me during residency. I, I, I learned about the challenges, the knowledge gaps, uh, the need that's existing in this field, and how much more work needs to be done here. There is no cure. There are no diseases that halt the progression. There are no biomarkers to read out for clinical trials. And uh, even clinical care needs, there are so many gaps to fill. I think it was very, very rewarding to work on that project for many years. And along the way, I've been very blessed to have, I, I consider myself very lucky to have uh, had wonderful mentors in this field, ALS clinicians, both at uh, Cleveland Clinic, where I trained, as well as at Harvard Medical School, including Massachusetts General Hospital and Brigham and Women's Hospital. Uh, some of my mentors are wonderful clinicians that kindest people have met and a dedicated physicians and really uh, global leaders in the field of ALS research, drug development. Uh, I think all of that has been nothing but inspiring and motivating uh, for me to move on um, in the ALS field. Most important thing I would say, uh, Jeremy, is uh, it's really the patient community that makes me want to wake up every morning and want to work harder every day for, for ALS. Some of the ALS patients I've met are the most amazing, resilient people, and they're really an inspiration to me. I continue to learn a lot. I continue to learn and grow from every ALS patient I care for. Uh, you know, They've really kind of taught me to be humble and strong and passionate about what I do. I think if I were to kind of go back in time and make a decision about career again, I would choose ALS again. Wow. Doctor, that's powerful. Um, and I cannot agree more with you. There's a lot of hope that flows through this community. So well said. Uh, Dr. Babu, as we mentioned, or as Jeremy mentioned, rather, you um, are a member of the Time to Diagnosis work group. And the challenge of getting a timely diagnosis is something many of our listeners can relate to. Can you talk about some of the challenges that exist from the clinical side, what makes an ALS diagnosis so difficult and, and takes so much time? Absolutely. This is a loaded question. Um, mm. uh, you know, when we look at ALS from the lens of all other diseases, many neurological diseases, whether it is MS or stroke or, or other diseases outside of neurology, there is no single diagnostic test for ALS, and that makes it very challenging. And if somebody has diabetes, you can do you can check their blood sugars and get hemoglobin A1C and say you have diabetes. We don't have a hemoglobin A1C test for ALS. Um, till today, the diagnosis is largely clinical. And till today, the diagnosis is largely dependent on ruling out other possibilities. Until today, um, the diagnosis is really dependent on history and examination. Maybe some of the tests like EMG could help understand uh, support or rule in some of the clinical suspicions, but it doesn't confirm or rule out other possibilities. And many a times, patients often tend to see multiple providers, multiple specialists before they see an ALS neurologist. And for a non-ALS clinician, they may see about maybe one or two patients a year at most. And if you don't see as many ALS patients, you're not going to think about ALS in the forefront of your differential diagnosis and, and workup. And even if you do, you're not as comfortable making and confirming the diagnosis. So oftentimes, patients may end up getting multiple tests that may or may not 
be needed for ALS diagnosis. They may be referred to multiple specialties. They cannot say how many patients um, are sometimes end up getting carpal tunnel surgeries, spine surgeries, orthopedic procedures, uh, thinking that it could be something else. And then they see at least three to four providers before they see an ALS neurologist, even till today in the US and to get a diagnosis. So I think all of these add to the challenges. And then the disease itself is so heterogeneous. It's in some people presents with arm weakness. Some people presents with slowness of movement. Some people presents with speech difficulties. And, and it, in the early stages, some of these can very well be mimicking other diseases. So it makes it very challenging um, to diagnose in the early stages. Is it fair to say that there are physicians, primary care doctors, you know, those first point of contacts that so many people have as they're approaching the healthcare system, who will go their entire careers without facing ALS, without dealing with a patient who develops ALS? It is certainly possible. Um, you know, it's, it's like a pyramid. You start with the primary care physicians, and then you may go up to uh, enter the realm of neurology, general neurologists, and then you enter the realm of neuromuscular, general neuromuscular physicians. And finally, at the top of the pyramid is like an ALS neurologist who lives and breeds ALS every day. And we see all the different varieties and heterogeneous presentations of it. But if you are at the wider part of the pyramid and you're, you're not just seeing ALS, you're seeing several thousand other conditions, and this is really not naturally on the top of your mind to think about this. So, Dr. Babu, we talk a lot on this podcast about the need to shorten the time to diagnose. Can you walk us through from your experience, your perspective, what are some of the benefits that someone living with ALS would receive if they were diagnosed earlier? Now more than ever, there is a need to really diagnose ALS early. And that need is because there is more hope and there are a lot of exciting things happening on the clinical drug development front, treatment development front, research front, and potentially breakthroughs on the horizon. And time is of the essence. The longer it takes for a patient to be diagnosed, the longer they're waiting to get access to potentially life-saving treatments or therapies that could alter the trajectory of their disease. Um, it doesn't have a cure. Many diseases don't have cures. Diabetes does not have cure. But our goal is to make ALS livable, just like diabetes. And our goal is to make sure that patients get access to treatments, which treatments do not just mean medications. Treatments also mean access to therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, and supportive treatments, assistive devices, all of these as early as possible. Has it gotten better over the course of your career? Have you seen progress made in, in speeding up the time to diagnosis and addressing some of these challenges as you've laid them out? I think the question about have things changed over the years would be a really important and relevant question for somebody who maybe um, who might have been in the field for many more years than I have been. I consider sure. myself somewhere in the early to mid-career. And over the last few years that I have been in the ALS field, I would say that I've not seen a dramatic of a change in the timelines to diagnosis itself. And the evidence points to the same as well. You know, about a decade ago, there was a paper that was published from our group here close to a decade ago that said that it takes about 12 months to from the point of symptom onset 
to diagnosis in the U.S. We recently did a survey as a part of the ALS Association, and it's still 12 months from the time of symptom onset to diagnosis. I don't think we have done very much on that front. I think it's slowly getting there, but we really need to kind of accelerate that time to diagnosis. Yep, I understand that. Um, Dr. Babu, so recently the ALS Association unveiled a new tool that you were a part of called Think ALS. Now, you're part of the work group actually developed this tool. Can you share with our listeners what this is and how this is going to address the challenges around diagnosis? Absolutely. I, I'm very excited about this tool and the, all the initiatives that the ALS Association has led in bringing a, a group together, a working group together from all aspects, from patients to industry partners to clinicians and ALS Association leadership as well, all for that same common goal of how do we shorten the time to ALS diagnosis confirmation for patients. And uh, among the many initiatives that uh, we have been discussing and thinking over the past past year and a half, one of the deliverables that we have developed is a tool called a Think ALS. And this will be soon launched. And I think there's a website that's being developed to house all the information pertaining to diagnosis and the tool and referral, referral resources and other things as well. It's very, very exciting. But the, the main purpose of developing this tool is to target general neurologists and um, to expand our work on clinician education about ALS diagnosis. You may ask me why general neurologists, why not primary care doctors, why not some other physician? I think there's a need at every level. Uh, you know, again, going back to my earlier statement about it, it's sort of like a pyramid and it doesn't have to flow in a certain direction. It's actually a complex structure where primary care physicians, general neurologists, uh, maybe subspecialists, there's spine surgeons, ENT doctors, orthopedics, a whole bunch of other specialists. And a, an ALS patient, you know, may be cared by any of these groups at any point in time. And we have to address all of these groups to create that awareness and education about ALS diagnosis. We decided to start with general neurologists first, sort of as a penultimate step before a patient sees an ALS neurologist, they may see a general neurologist in most, most cases, not all cases, but most cases. And uh, starting from there, and then we, our hope is to then eventually work our way backwards all the way to the first point of contact for a patient uh, when they present with the very first symptom. So our hope is to um, create awareness and provide referral and educational tools for general neurologists to really kind of empower them to feel comfortable thinking about ALS early and also referring an ALS patient if they suspect ALS early to a multidisciplinary ALS neurologist and clinic. And how do we go about that? So the resources that a general neurologist in their really busy clinical practice may need are a snapshot of what are some of the signs and symptoms and how do we differentiate this from other diseases? How do we make sure we don't falsely give the diagnosis of ALS to somebody who doesn't, and how do we make sure we don't miss the diagnosis of ALS in somebody who does have ALS. And then once you suspect, it goes through a series of a single-page brief tool that has all a series of all the clinical symptoms and signs where to look for these symptoms, where to look for muscle twitching, where to look for muscle atrophy. And then if you do suspect, how do you go about referring this patient? Where do you look for the nearest multidisciplinary ALS clinic? center 
And then how do you expedite that referral to ALS clinics? Oftentimes, what we learned from uh, the, the working group is that the way the initial referral is written determines how long it may take for a patient to be seen at an ALS clinic. If, if the referral just says weakness and it is sent to a tertiary referral center, there's a big neurology triage pool that's looking at all referrals coming in, and they may say weakness that can fall under any of the neurology subspecialties, and they may just, that patient's referral may get put into a general neurology pool, and that may have a longer wait time. But if a community neurologist or a neurologist feels like this is ALS, if they clearly state in the referral that says clinical suspicion for ALS, then that expedites the referral, the triage process, and they'll end up in the ALS triage pool. And almost every multidisciplinary ALS clinic in the country, and we did a survey of all the ALS clinics uh, across the country, and what we noted is that except for an occasional clinic here or there, majority of clinics are able to see the first patient for initial consultation of ALS within two weeks from the time that they've received the referral. So this is a real number, and this is a real number across many different sites. So if the referral uh, language is put in well, and it is more concise and focused, I think that will really expedite that last step of the waiting time for a patient to be seen at an ALS clinic. And so it's providing guidance. It's providing um, you know, resources, links, QR codes to find the nearest center to find research resources, treatment options for, for neurologists without adding mo- more time or burden in their busy clinical practices. Yeah, that uh, professional education component of it is so important. Uh, now, Dr. Babu, so many people that we've spoken to on this program and just in our interactions with people living with ALS and people who have gone through the diagnostic process have talked about this sense that they knew before they got the diagnosis. They had a feeling. They went home. They were Googling symptoms, and they just felt like they knew. Do you foresee this being something that patients find and bring to their doctor and say, this isn't a diagnostic tool, but do these symptoms make sense? Um, that's a tough question, actually, to be very honest with you, Jeremy, because ALS is a challenging disease. And the problem is that some of the conditions that may have overlapping symptoms, but unless you're a trained ALS and neuromuscular professional, you can't really kind of put all of those symptoms together as a package and say that, you know, I'm worried about ALS. They can they, If they're worried about ALS, they should definitely bring this to the attention of their physicians as soon as possible. But oftentimes what happens is some of the symptoms, for example, somebody has muscle twitches or fasciculations. And every adult human being gets muscle twitches or fasciculations. So I don't want people to be afraid when they get a muscle twitch and they start thinking that they have ALS because oftentimes it's not. But if that muscle twitch is accompanied with several other features that, uh, you know, a neurologist may find on examination, 
patterns of atrophy and weakness and reflex the changes and all of these things, then that suspicion for ALS becomes higher. You know, technology is great. Dr. Google is great to uh, kind of understand, but it also brings an equal amount of anxiety for, for people who are trying to search for their symptoms and they can probably go down the wrong path and have more fear and anxiety about a disease that they may or may not even have. So I think uh, I think you'll have to take that a little with a grain of salt. Yeah, understandable. Thank you. So Dr. Babi, before we let you go, any final thoughts, anything that you'd like to share with our listeners around the Think ALS tool or even around time to diagnose? I would say that, you know, the Think ALS tool is the first of many steps in the right direction to reduce, shorten the time to confirming diagnosis. And in this effort, you know, the, uh, everybody's partnership is so important, partnership of patients, their physicians, whether it is their primary care doctors, and general neurologists and uh, ALS Association, other not-for-profit organizations, physical therapists, uh, advanced practice providers. I think it is a common goal for uh, a unified team approach to make a difference in this field. So, thank you. A hopeful note to close things out on. And uh, Dr. Babu really wants to thank you again for your time and your insight and all of your work on the Think ALS tool. Uh, hopefully we can get you back on the show again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Dr. Babu. It was a real pleasure to speak with you. Really excited again about this tool, about what it can do for the ALS community. Of course, we know that the main audience is around the general neurologist, but this is also something that any practicing physician can take advantage of, especially when they're working with a person, a patient who might be exhibiting some symptoms. So thank you so much once again for walking us through this really excellent tool. Yeah, very exciting to see the work going forward to shorten that time to diagnosis, think ALS, uh, one step along the way to really kind of condensing that time. You know, we've heard from Dr. Yersak on this show about the, the continued search for biomarkers. So in the journey to making ALS a livable disease and ultimately finding a cure, really exciting to see these new tools be brought into the world uh, to kind of help along the way. That is going to do it for this week's episode of Connecting ALS. You can find Connecting ALS wherever you listen to podcasts and where you're there. Please find time to rate and review us. It is a great way for us to connect with even more listeners. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, post-production by Garrett Tiedemann, production management by Gabriela Montekin, supervised by David Hoffman. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon. Thank you.